0: Please, join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O oh God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own this morning, that we may hear your word and the vision that you have given Chapelwood, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today Comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hear these words I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. And acceptable and perfect for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but think of yourself sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that god has assigned the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god
1: so a quick announcement just to make sure that it's plainly known because we're excited about it. Um, This afternoon, you've uh, seen the slides roll. Um, This afternoon, the uh, Brazosport Symphony will have a meet and greet uh, here at the church at three o'clock to honor and welcome the new maestro. Isn't that a great word? You must, you must already know, um, <laughs> Brian Casey. And so um, we're really thankful uh, f- to be able to host, and I know um, uh, Barry and Andre Dunn have been working hard on this, um, there'll be punch and cake. Um, and I believe some comments from maestro Casey um, uh, telling us a little bit about uh, kind of what his vision is for uh, the community symphony. Uh, And we're excited, Um, thankful for you um, and thankful for the opportunity to host. Another just kind of quick comment. um, I always find it interesting uh, how much church has changed, right? Um, uh, Church has changed so much that I remember 20 years ago when I was an associate pastor, um, the required uh, dress was um, a tie and a coat. and, And when you were leading worship, you wore a robe, right? And I've um, often thought uh, over my six, almost seven years here, how much um, variety comes into play with what um, we wear up here in the chancel area. Um, And so this morning, I found it quite um, humorous as I walked in in a suit and tie. I had a a coat on. I have shed it because of the uh, uh, air conditioning. Um, And all the, you know, uh, the comments, you know, walk in the door and I get, is the bishop coming? (laughs) And then, of course, after that, I get, are you leaving? (laughs) Sometimes with a little smile. I mean, I I get it, right? Um, And then my responses are always encouraging, right? Sometimes it's um, laundry day uh, Uh, or maybe better um, when you know the sermon's not going to go so well, you kind of gussy up other parts. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I hate, hate for you to wonder what the logic is in my choice of dress. I just woke up this morning and thought a suit sounded really good. So um, apparently I'm being punished for it because it's August. Um, <laughs> so we start a series um, really focus on calling and vision. We really think as people head back to school that it's helpful to place that vision in front of us again to kind of remind ourselves of the destination, of uh, what the map is calling us to go do. Uh, and so this week and next week, we'll be just talking about that again. I, um, it, it's true to say that we have been walking out the vision of raising a generation in faith since August of 2014. Now, for some of you think four years, preacher, don't you think you've worn that one out? Can we revision, right? I do think revision is coming uh, in our future, but I think it's wonderful today to kind of um, be inspired and to be refreshed in reminders about where we are. Uh, During these four years, Uh, We have learned about children and youth spiritual formation. We've evaluated our programs uh, and our ministries. We've connected this end of the building to that end of the building. You know what I'm saying, right? Um, The youth are no longer uh, cordoned off over there, but we've found ways to include them in so many aspects of what we do here in worship. Um, For the last two years, I've spent a week in July each year uh, working with uh, United Methodist students uh, in the Kansas annual conference, Uh, and I'm amazed every year I ask them, how many times have you led in worship? How many times have you read scripture? And these junior and senior uh, high school students all look at me as if I am speaking a foreign language. And I'm reminded, right? They, they often say, "Well, well, yeah, on Youth Sunday once a year. Or, well, yeah, I was up in the chancel area when I was confirmed. And I think, wow, what a blessing it is to make sure that we have space and opportunity for the youth and children to lead us in worship. Along the way, we have seen the average age of the staff here uh, get younger. We've seen the congregation get younger. We've seen a bridge built between the preschool and the sanctuary as we see um, that part of our ministry, not as something else, but something included. Um, Over the next two weeks, we're going to pay attention to what Paul has to say to the church in Rome, uh, chapter 12. I want to start, though, with a story, a story about next steps. I was exhausted. I mean, I had sweat more than I thought a human person could sweat. I was north or south of Huntsville on the Lone Star Trail. I had been hiking with Michael and uh, Jimmy and Gary and Jeff. Uh, And though they were uh, wonderful former Marines or Eagle uh, Boy Scouts that were Eagle Scouts, um, I had been a wee for about three months. Just long enough to order the uniform, convince my mom to sew the patches on, and just long enough to get to that third or fourth meeting where they said, we're going to go camping. And I thought, y'all are serious about this thing, aren't you? <laughs> so having hiked multiple miles, I, will, I would tell you a number, but it would be horribly inflated because in my mind, right, when you think about personal best. Anything over about two miles was my personal best that time. Uh, And so here we are after having primitive camped two nights. We are on the last stretch until we get to the next rest opportunity uh, where Michael had parked his truck and had water for us. It was important because there was no water uh, on the trail. And so we were carrying it all with us. We're about a mile from where the parking lot was and, (laughs) um, I had forced the group to take now on my third break to catch my breath. They had pooled their water and given it to me. And I think I caught a look between Michael and Gary like, let's not kill the preacher. (laughs) Jimmy sat down next to me and he says, you know, it's just a, a mile further. And I said, yeah, he says, are you feeling okay? Yeah, he's like, I really think you can do this. And I said, oh yeah, I think I can do it too. It's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's really powerful to take your next step. Paul had written to the church in Rome about their next step. You know, we don't know a whole lot about what was happening in the uh, church at Rome at that time, but we can read the letter and figure out really quickly that one of the problems that Rome had was uh, a lack of unity. They were arguing over who has and who doesn't have God's grace, who's forgiven and who's not. There were folk who had uh, moved to Rome who were um, Jews, uh, and they were claiming the faith for themselves. And there were Gentiles who had come to the faith, uh, but did not have the heritage and history and ritual of uh, the Jews. And so uh, they were often ostracized. And so Paul goes to looking for a particular uh, way, a metaphor, if you will, to explain how important it is for us to be unified together. And so he searches around for a number of opportunities and falls on the idea of a body, that a body is a good metaphor for unity, that for the church in Rome, the body was a great example of what their next step would be. Now, I wonder, how in the world did he come up with body? It's a strange idea. I wonder if uh, Paul, being a very learned man, if he was familiar at how fragile our bodies actually are. I wonder if he thought to himself, I am so lucky to be here, um, a, a grown man with a relationship with Jesus in good health. Maybe he knew that uh, in that um, early ancient Near Eastern culture of his day, that one out of four infants born would not make it to be a toddler. Maybe he knew that um, one out of two children who became toddlers would not make it to their 10th birthday. Maybe he knew how blessed and lucky he was. He might also have come to the realization that he hadn't lived his whole life in a city, but instead had traveled as a traveling preacher and um, uh, teacher of the law, because he knew that cities were a place that just kind of bred disease. And so he was able to get out in the outdoors. Maybe he realized that he was fortunate that he had not come under the care of a quack doctor for there were lots of folk who thought they were healers, but rarely pulled off the fruit of actual healing. You know, the body is a very fragile thing. I mean, we we notice it in our own bodies as well, right? Uh, We notice that over time, the uh, glasses are not just for show, but they become necessary, right? Uh, We watch um, young, talented associate pastors climb on stools to teach what? The Wesleyan quadrilateral. That's right. I'm so glad you said that. Um, (laughs) We are reminded of what we can and can't do as days go on. Our bodies are fragile. I think that fragility is an important part of why Paul chose the body as a metaphor You know, if you think about it, you can take a break from school. You can take a break from work. You can go on vacation. You can do lots of things. You can even take a break from family. But you cannot take a break from your body. You you cannot decide, I'm going to walk away and get a new one. But instead, we are ultimately tied to the body that we have. And if we somehow, in a sci-fi way, could get rid of our body, we would find ourselves lifeless and unable to do anything. And so Paul uses this body image. And here we find in Romans uh, Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, that Paul uses the body as a metaphor to allow him to at least talk about three vocabulary words. Um, The first group is living sacrifice. Do do you remember the passage, right? It was, um, he says, "I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. That's powerful. Living sacrifice. Living really gives that connotation that it's engaged, that it's growing, that it is active, that it is part of the world around it. It is is living, alive. I don't know about you, but sacrifice. Whew, really. Preacher going to talk about sacrifice today, right? Sounds like, oh no, I'm going to have to forego going out to eat one more night a week so that I can up my pledge, a real sacrifice, right? I mean, we we get frustrated. Sacrifices usually cause us pain and uh, impose on our lives. and, And we're just really not connected with that idea of suffering at the moment. Sacrifice is hard. But if you put the two words together, living sacrifice, Something that has, um, engages in the world, that makes the world a, a different place, that brings the world alive. Now when we think about sacrifice, um, sacrifice in Paul's words is a gift given to God. A gift given to God based upon the relationship that we have with God. Think about the gifts that you've given to people based upon the relationship that you have with them. I think back to uh, um, a few grandparents that I knew that chose to limit their retirement travel so that they might um, store up in a fund college education for their grandkids. What a sacrifice given based upon relationships. You know, I've uh, often heard and experienced folk who uh, young in marriage before kids will work two jobs just to get out of debt, just to get in a house, just to provide a firm foundation for the kids that are to come, a sacrifice, a gift given in response to relationships. You can think about that. I mean, that's the the kind of sacrifice we want to give, right? To have an outcome, to make a difference in the world, so much different than when the preacher stands up at the beginning of the stewardship campaign and says, it's going to be a sacrifice this year, right? We begin to see the value and power of what it means to commit and sacrifice for an outcome that we know will make the world a better place. And, of course, if we say dead sacrifice, that just doesn't make sense. It's like I've gone into, you know, horror movie mode. Uh, Who wants to think about that? I also want to say that uh, preachers have said said forever that living sacrifices are the hardest kind because they crawl off the altar. It's very true, right? We tend to be overwhelmed and distracted with so many things that have to be done that sometimes we get distracted from our sacrifice because, well, we crawl off the altar. We chase a rabbit. We go after a shiny object. I also like that Paul talks about spiritual worship. It seems like he is wasting some words here. I thought all worship was spiritual. He talks about spiritual worship and, and this idea of continuous prayer and the idea of being a part of God's family all the time. I thought worship, humorously said, was just what happens inside, well, I wouldn't say these four walls, but apparently there's many more walls than that. I'm not going to count them right now. I mean, is spiritual worship, isn't it just what we do in this place and at this time? It doesn't have an effect on anything else that we do until we realize that 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 act of spiritual worship, that willingness to be transformed, to not conform to this life, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, begins to make us think that the time that we spend here is not isolated, but maybe even an orientation for what's to come. Some of you have been to meet the teacher. Some of you will come to meet the maestro. Uh, some of you have been to boot camp or fish camp. You have been getting ready for what's to come. What if what we do between 11 and 12:15 every Sunday is an opportunity to be oriented for what's to come? that we get clear on what we're going to do together. We're going to take our next step and represent Jesus in the world around us. I also find it really interesting, this whole do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the Spirit. Some of you are thinking, oh, look, the pastor's going to talk about vision. This is what you do when you've read the corporate business book, right? Must be Malcolm Gladwell, maybe, that he's plugging into You're supposed to talk about vision. It's important for institutional viability. I need to say that church was never meant to be an organization that lived on far after the movement and the vision is dead. That institutional viability, sure, it's important, but what's far more important in a group that's trying to take their next step, that's trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to raise a generation in faith uh, in the shadow of the cross and in light of the gospel, is inspirational viability. It's really not about the institution surviving. It's about us being inspired Take that word inspired. It could be um, inspirited, right? It could be maybe even in a church, we would say inspired by the Holy Spirit. What is it like? I'm not doing this because it's what the business books say. I'm doing this because I'm hoping that together we might be transformed, that we might not conform to how things always have been, but be open to what God is doing among us. I, I find it fascinating to just listen to what's happening in worship. The music that we sing, the, the anthems that we hear, um, the noise of kiddos, right? I, I know it's different, I'm ADHD before ADHD was cool and I get distracted, but always remember the, sign, the sound of a child, the sound of growth in a church. What is it like to take our next steps? We might have to sacrifice the cool and calm and um, quiet in worship, but we gain such a great treasure. We get to raise a generation in faith. So, haven't been around here for about six years. Maybe you've noticed that I tend to have a format to my sermons. Usually, as we get to the end, there's this nice hallmark story. It's kind of cute and quaint, and you know, <laughs> kind of you, you got you know a sweet tooth that'll make your sweet sweet tooth hurt. You know, but it puts a bow on it. So, what would be an inspiring story? What would be a story that reminds us of the power of sacrifice or reminds us of the payoff that comes when we do commit and sacrifice? What would be a story that might inspire? I wonder if it's a story of three older gentlemen who are inspired by the enthusiasm of a young single youth pastor and they commit to sacrificing their Wednesday nights to be at first warm bodies, but later spiritual friends to youth and young adults because they believe that the future of raising a generation in faith will not come without some sacrifice. Maybe it's the story of a junior high girls, small group Bible study that was led by a quiet, well-intended, intended, introverted youth pastor who became an associate pastor. Now, what's hard is that people grow, right? Junior high girls become senior high girls and senior high girls become college students and young women. And when that happens, they move away. But maybe the inspiring story is when one of them comes back during fall break, freshman year, and tells a wonderful story about how she found her church and how she attends regularly and how she is active in what they're doing. You and I both know that the statistics say that if a kid's going to fall away from faith, it's going to happen in college. Maybe it's an inspiring story that one comes back and tells us that she got it. Maybe it's a story of a new associate pastor and his willingness to jump with both feet into a new place to offer a Bible study to parents of young children. He even takes a horrible suggestion from his senior pastor uh, to read a book called Parenting in the Pew. Um, But despite all of that, gathers around him six different families and they become a Sunday school class. And out of that intentional study and community-minded fellowship comes not just a children's director, but a preschool director and even one of them elected to city council. Maybe those are inspiring stories. Maybe those are the kind of sacrifices and commitments that make a difference in raising a generation in faith. I wonder what's your next step. I have to say, when I see staff who used to be here and have moved on, we giggle because it never fails. We will say, well, that's my next step. And then we chuckle, because we know this place gave us that language. What's amazing is your next step will be the inspiring story to someone who's watching you. And so I wonder, how might we take a next step together, unified as a body, not doing it alone, but seeking to glorify God in all that we do. When we do that, our simple acts of faithfulness and sacrifice will be the inspiration for years to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.